Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. What's up, Bird Gang? Jonathan Gannon, your new head coach, Arizona Cardinals. Ready to get to work. Buckle up. We're going to have some fun. See you soon. And with that, the 36-day search for the Cardinals' next head coach is over. Jonathan Gannon, the Eagles' defensive coordinator, was named as the 11th head coach in the Cardinals' history since moving to Arizona. He'll be introduced at a press conference on Thursday morning. Presumably, a press conference will carry live Same here. day that Kevin Durant's press uh, conference Kevin is. Durant is later that afternoon at 2 o'clock. It's going to make for a very fun, busy Maybe the day. Maybe Coyotes will cha- trade Jacob Chikrin that day, too. <laughs> you know what? Memo. Diamondbacks bring back Archie Brad. What can, we, what can we make happen to make this incredible? Honestly, memo to every other team in the yeah. Valley, don't schedule anything for Thursday. We're good. We're, 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 I don't know how much attention you're going to get between a new head coach and Kevin Durant yeah. meeting with the media on Thursday. Don't schedule anything else for Thursday. Unless you want to do something that kind of flies under the radar. Well, that would be, boy, that'd be a great day. Mm, yeah. right? A news dump. That'd be a great day to do something that's not going to be very popular. Who the who the hell's going to be paying any attention to that? Uh, we've been talking all day. If you're just joining us here on Burns and Gambo, welcome. Where have you been? We've been hanging out here since 2 o'clock. We've been talking about Jonathan Gannon for a big bulk of that. How this all came down, all the different names that they've talked to, and ultimately they hire the Eagles defensive coordinator. It seems like in large part because Monty Austin Fort, the new GM, has sort of established him even before he became a GM as a guy that, hey, if I ever become a GM in this league... I want to talk to like 10 coaches and see which ones I might want to hire as my head coach if I ever get that first opportunity. Gannon was on the list. So what do we think about this deal? This, this is kind of a free-flowing, yeah. what do we think about this? Listen, I think it's a risk, right? You're, you you didn't hire a coach with head coaching experience. You didn't get Sean Payton. You didn't get Brian, Brian Flores. Uh, there's reports. That, the, the reason why I don't think Gannon was always the guy uh, from the beginning that they wanted is because of the reports that said they would have hired Dan Quinn if he wanted the job, right? There was a report. I can't remember who it was. Tom Pelissero was Tom on Pelissero. They wanted yeah. Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn would have been the guy. They would have hired Dan Quinn. So um, I think it's a risky hire. He's only been a defensive coordinator for two years. Now, he's definitely paid his dues. He's been in this league for a long time. He's been with a lot of different organizations, so he could definitely build a staff because he's had a lot of different stops. You know, I was reading something in one of the Philly papers, and this was in uh, early January when the Texans job opened up and they said that, you know, that he was a top candidate and it says if the Texans hired Jonathan Gannon, would you miss him in Philly? Well, 82% said no. <laughs> and, you know, thousands of votes and 82% said no. I don't think the fans loved him in Philly, despite the fact that they got pressure on the quarterback and they had a lot of sacks. It was like a passive approach to defense. It was aimed at eliminating the big plays and, you know, trying, you know, giving up a lot of, a lot of yards and a lot of plays, but trying not to give up the big plays. So I think that the fans in Philly didn't love him. But in Cincinnati, they did love Lou Anarumo. They didn't want to lose him. So I think it's a very risky hire. But again, like Darren Urban said when we had him on the show earlier, like I, you definitely have to give it time. We don't know for sure. He might come in and be a great head coach. He might come in and fall flat on his face. We just don't know at this point. We can only gauge it based on what other people that, that have been around him are saying and what people are hearing. Yeah, I, I you know what? Uh, in terms of what I think about it. I, I mean, I think my first reaction when the news came down was, I'm, I'm glad it was finally done, because I feel like huh. we've just, I'm being, you know, dead no, I serious. Agree, I agree, I'm, yeah. I'm glad it's over, like, because I feel like we've been doing this for a long time now, trying to speculate on who it is. I would agree with you, and more even specifically than that, once you put Sean Payton 
Peyton's name in front of me or anybody else who's a Cardinals fan, anybody else is going to pale by comparison, right? Like anybody else is just not. They talked to Sean Payton for seven hours. They they, they were know, never going to hire Sean Payton. I, I don't I, believe that. I, there's no way they were going to hire spend that type of money and give up the draft capital. They weren't going to do that. As true as that might be. You wet my appetite with a guy like Sean Payton, and it's hard not to look at anybody else as a step down, right? Like everybody else suddenly becomes lesser than Sean Payton. I, too, would have really preferred somebody with previous head coaching experience. Really, really would have preferred that. I'll tell you what I like about it, and I agree, it's a risky hire. What I like about it is the Cardinals have done, I think, what we all truly wanted them to do when this whole process started. Go outside the organization, bring in brand new voices from brand new organizations from places that have had success. You go get Amani Austin for it. He's been with the Titans. He's been with the Patriots. He's won a lot of games. He's been with organizations that have won a lot of games. You go out and you get a Jonathan Gannon. He was just the defensive coordinator of the team that went to the Super Bowl. They were really good last year, too. I like that they've ultimately satisfied what we all wanted them to do. Sure. Bring in brand new, different people from organizations that have a history of great culture and great success to see if they can recreate that here. Because I tell you what, that is not what they did with Cliff Kingsbury. That's really not what they did with Steve Wilkes either. I like this approach because it's really a fresh coat of paint that the whole organization needed. Look, we may get to the point where you regret that they... And I remember when Sean... You know, I didn't want them to give up the draft capital for Sean Payton. I would have liked Sean Payton without giving up the draft capital. But we said at the time, let's see who they hire. Like, if they... You know, I would rather have D'Amico Ryans. I would rather have Quinn. I would rather have Reich. I would rather have uh, Flores. There were mm-hmm. plenty of guys. Um, look, I, I was... I wish they would have interviewed Eric Bieniemy. You know, and I do hope he leaves Kansas City because for some reason, that guy's not getting jobs, and he, he seems like he's a hell of a coach. Um, so he should leave and take a lateral move and go somewhere else where, where he gets away from Andy Reid. Because Andy Reid, as good as Andy Reid is, he might be holding Eric Bieniemy back. Sure. And Bieniemy may need to just leave and establish himself somewhere else. But we did say at the time with Peyton, it's like, let's see who they get. Like, let's see who they get. It matters who they get as to whether you would have gave up the compensation or not. They go get a good coach and be like, okay, so now this one it's like, you know, you may get to the point where if this is a failure, you're going to regret that you didn't go after Peyton perhaps. and spend that money in the draft capital. Yeah, perhaps. But that time will tell yeah, on that. Yeah, we won't know. Um, a couple of other things I like about it. I like that Monty Austin Fort wanted him and got him, which kind of indicates to me that this is Monty's hire, right? This isn't this isn't Michael's hire. This isn't something that, that Michael wanted to have happen. This is something Monty wanted to have happen. And I think that's very important for this, for him to come in and have that kind of autonomy to be able to hire. The, whether he got it right or got it wrong, time will tell. But I think that autonomy was a very important part about that. But you know this. If, if, if he gets this right, he established. Because in, in Hazen, we trust. In this guy, we trust. In that guy, we trust. In Monty, we trust. You know, once these guys have had some success with oh. moves they make, then they build up that cachet. They build up the. Right now, we don't know if Monty Asifor got this right. If he gets this right, right, he starts to build up some credits. Think about the credits that Steve Kime built up when he hired Bruce Arians. When the organization, sure. right, in yeah. the moves that he made Carson coupled Palmer. with the coaching that Bruce brought, he, it, it got was, him five it, more years. It was beautiful. I mean, it was the marriage made in heaven. It was perfect. And, and, and those moves allowed him to be a GM up until now because those were good moves. Right. He was able to kind of live off of that for a while. And I'm not saying the same thing's going to happen here, but I think Monty needed the freedom and the power to be able to hire the guy he wanted. And it feels like he hired the guy he wanted to do it his way. He needed to do this his way. And that happened. I am not 
worried about what happened in the Super Bowl. I'm really not even that worried. Schematically, we can sit here and break down Jonathan Gannon's defense and it does this. And I'm not worried about that. Can he command a room? Is he the alpha? Does he walk in? Do guys respect him? Is there another level of accountability that wasn't here for the last four years? I worry about that way more than I do his scheme, his defense, what the Chiefs did to them in the second half. I care about that stuff, but not nearly as much as I do about kind of the intangible personality that he brings, because that's the most important part, I think. Yeah, I was way more this, than scheme. So look at this story. An Eagles rider gives three reasons the Chiefs will win the Super Bowl. His number one reason? Jonathan defense. Gannon. Jonathan Gannon will have no answer for Patrick Mahomes. Who does, though? He got an, he got an, he, Who does? He, yeah, Who has true. an answer for Patrick Patrick Mahomes. Yes. That's Andy Reid. That's Patrick Mahomes. That's the one of the best quarterback coaching combinations. It might go down in the history of the NFL when it's all said and done. Very few guys can. No. Now, now I, I can hear you in your car right now. And you're, if you're listening to the show, you're saying, well, Lou Anarumo did. And that's a fair point. Lou Anarumo, does that make Lou Anarumo a better head coach, though? Because he drew up a better defense to design Patrick Mahomes? That, to me, is the distinction. We don't know. We don't know if that makes Lou Anarumo a better head coach. It made him a better defensive coordinator. It's a lot of great defensive coordinators that don't end up being... Steve Spagnuolo was a really good defensive coordinator. Became a head coach. He wasn't very good. Now he's a defensive coordinator again. He's got another Super Bowl ring. When we come back on the Burns and Gambo show, the beam team has been lighting up the NBA to many people's surprise this year. How did they get the third best in the West? We'll go to Sacramento. Find out next on the Burns and Gambo show. Burns and Gambo. Afternoons on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. All right, we take a pause in the conversation about Jonathan Gannon, the new head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, because tonight, coming up in less than two hours, big game for the Phoenix Suns, big game in the Western Conference, number three versus number four. The Sacramento Kings sit at number three. The Suns, thanks to the Mavs' loss last night, sit at number four. You'll hear the game right here at 7 o'clock on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader, and joining us right now to talk about the Sacramento Kings and the unbelievable season they've had up until this point from Sacktown. Sports, the Kings reporter, our sister station there in Sacramento, Frankie Cardicelli, our guest on the Burns and Gambo show. Frankie, I'm Dave. This is Gambo. Welcome to the show, man. How you doing? Guy, thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to meet you this way over the phone. And again, yeah, Bonneville family. Nice to be talking to some other folks in that neighborhood. So uh, happy to come on and talk some basketball. With you. Yeah, we forgot about the year that Mike Bibby led him to the playoffs because the last time we remember Sacramento being good was Peja and Chris Weber and Vlade Divac and Doug Christie. And that was like 20 years ago. Yeah, I was in uh, second grade. It's, it's, it's hard for me to for me to remember too. I, I I tell people all the time. It's it's very strange to me to you know I I have I've watched sports my whole life and I've I've you know baseball football whatever my teams if however they're, they're doing you check the standings. But with the Kings, you know I've worked for the team too for four years out of college and then covered them for three. This has not been the case. We've been losses only, writing about losses, talking about losses, trying to pull silver linings out. And this year, it's just kind of been a, you know, when when are they going to run out of gas? And they haven't to this point. But uh, Kings fans, and myself included, we're, we're enjoying every second of it. But it definitely has been a long time. What, what do you think the key to the turnaround is? Was it Mike Brown? Is it the drafting of De'Aaron Fox to trade it, to trade for Sabonis? What, what would you point your finger and say, this is, the, this is where it turned around for Sacramento. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of it's a lot of things. I think if you have to pinpoint one main thing, I think it's just a winning culture, and that of course comes to the hiring of Mike Brown, who he's been a winner wherever he's gone in, in Cleveland, Golden State, down the list. He was uh, on the bench in San Antonio with Pop for a little bit. He just is a guy who knows what it's like to to build winning programs and being part of winning programs, and that culture, along with players that have been on winning teams, Kevin Herter who ca- came on board. Uh, you have Demonis Sabonis who's been to the postseason a couple of times. Of course, all professional athletes, for the most part, they win most of their lives. They win in high school. They win in college. And I think it's kind of tough to come to a place like Sacramento. And especially over the past 15 years, you see guys like Darren Fox, who comes from a program like Kentucky. It wears on you after a while. And it's something that I think I noticed last year really started to wear him down his fifth season in the in the NBA, losing his heart year after year like that. And I think the Sabonis trade really kind of was it was a gamble first and foremost but it was one that has paid off and benefited both teams but it's changed the identity of this team it doesn't all fall on De'Aaron Fox now to be that guy that can change games and while he does that anyways in the fourth quarter he's one of the best players in the fourth quarter they have guys around him they have Kevin Herters Malik Monks Harrison Barnes they have a lot of players around Keegan Murray it doesn't all fall on one player and the fact that you have Mike Brown and his staff uh, an actual team that's about seven eight nine players deep that has just not been the case here for almost two decades. And it kind of goes back to Monty McNair and, and the, the GM of the Kings, the decisions he's made. They've worked out. He's pressed the right button so far, and the Kings right now are, are benefiting from I, it. I want to ask you about the trade as we're chatting here with Frankie Cardicelli, Sacktown Sports Kings reporter, Sons of the Kings, coming up in about an hour and a half here on Arizona Sports. So I want to talk to you about the trade. February 9th, 2022 was the date, so it's just a little over a year old, and it was one of those, you know, maybe not Kevin Durant level shocking kind of trades, but it was a shocker to see Tyrese Halliburton on the way out and Sabonis coming in. In that moment, I, I got to imagine there was a lot of doubt in the marketplace about what the Kings were doing, shipping out a guy like Tyrese Halliburton. Could anybody in retrospect imagine how well that trade would have turned out for you guys, given how well it did? Uh, Absolutely. I mean, I definitely was stunned. And I think that when you see how the the sports nation reacted to it, uh, the Kings were getting dragged. The Kings were getting... Uh, made fun of. They were the butt of a joke. They were. They are. They've been the butt of a joke for a long time for a lot of reasons, obviously. But this just kind of was the cherry on top. And you know, Demonis Sabonis at the time was a good player, a two-time All Star. And I don't think that uh, a lot of people took that into account when the trade happened. I think that Tyrese Halliburton was just such a an up and coming and is an up and coming star, and still is one that I think, in my opinion, will be a, a perennial All Star. But it turns out the Kings, they, they have their guy that they believed in. De'Aaron Fox is someone that, that this front office and this franchise believes can be a perennial all-star as well and someone who just needed to have more players around him. And the thing we've been hearing back in February of last year, the thing we heard the most was Tyrese Halliburton wasn't going to be moved. The name that kept coming out was De'Aaron Fox. And, of course, that could all just be posturing and, and we don't really know what goes on behind closed doors. I mean, again, I think that's the, the age-old saying that 90% of, of all these things that you mean, or 10% of what you hear during the deadline actually comes out. 90% of it never comes to light. And um, it was a trade that was, again, it was risky. And I never would have imagined in a million years that it would have turned out the way it is today. I mean, we, in, in a couple of days here, we'll be going to Salt Lake City and Tyrese Halliburton, Demona Sabonis, and De'Aaron Fox. There's a chance they could all be on the same roster. There's, there's a possibility of that, and that just would be such a weird thing to see. But uh, it, it really is one of those rare cases where, as of now, 
Sacramento and Indiana both have come out just winners in this trade. I mean, if you had to grade the deal for both teams right now, it's got to be an A for both, and uh, I think that's very, very rare. Yeah, I think one of the smartest things they did was finally moving on from DeMarcus Cousins, not giving him that contract when he when he finally left. But the other thing is Bagley. Like, they drafted him number two overall. It didn't work out. They tried to, you know, fit the uh, the, the round peg in the square hole or square peg in the round hole, whichever one it is. They for both a, work. Yeah, yeah which for, for a, well, I think the round hole may actually fit in this square peg. But they tried to make that work. It didn't work. I think they traded him for DiVincenzo, who's on Golden State now. But just just the, the admittance that, hey, we drafted him. It didn't work out. Moving on from him. Sometimes you need to do that as an organization. Move on from players that aren't working. Yeah, and that, of course, Marvin Bagley was, it was a move that, it did set the franchise back, in my opinion, you know, how many years, it's been five years, it set them back five years, I mean, if they would have drafted Luka Doncic, I mean, I don't think, we're not talking about a 16-year playoff drought, I mean, he's he's a generational talent, as we all know. And, yeah, it takes those kind of moves to get the change you need. I mean, that was what kind of signed Vladi Divac's ticket out of here. I mean, Vladi Divac was was a beloved king for a long time as a center, and he was a guy that I think that um, I, I, I do feel a little guilty sometimes with the reaction he gets. I mean, I'm, I'm someone who grew up watching him, and when he comes to games, he, which he still does, which is very interesting, too, he still comes to games, he gets a very mixed reaction, and it's hard to – to argue against it, but the Marvin Bagley's and the Marcus Cousins, they are all part of what has gotten to this point. They had to make a move to change that, that tone, that culture. Uh, it was one that, again, a risky move, but you have players now that have all bought into Mike Brown's system. The, the It's night and day compared to where the Kings are this year and last year. I mean, in, I was thinking about opening night last year. Opening night last year, uh, I remember telling one of my coworkers, wow, this is like the first time the Kings have had any drama around the team. And about... 45 minutes after I said that, Marvin Bagley's agency put out a statement saying that uh, well, they were going against Luke Walton and, and the Kings because Marvin was out of the opening night rotation. But uh, there's been none of that this year. There's been no drama, and I'm knocking on wood here because I don't want to jinx anything. But uh, the team has been fun. Fans are engaged. Golden One Center is as full as I've ever seen it, as loud as I've ever seen it. And it really is something that fans here truthfully have been, been waiting for a very, very long time for. And yeah. it's just uh, a lot of fun to be a part of it for everyone involved, I think. Frankie, we appreciate the time. Thank you very much for coming on, previewing tonight's game. All right, we'll talk soon. Guys, thank you so much. Happy to do any time. Have a good day. Frankie Carticelli from Sacktown Sports. Kings reporter joining us here on the Arizona Sports Line. Suns-Kings coming up 7 o'clock tonight. Texas, your thoughts on the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now when it comes to the Suns and the Kings in this matchup among top four teams in the Western Conference. When we come back, though, we circle back to our top story of the day. Jonathan Gannon, the new coach of the Cardinals. With the decision the Cardinals made today, they chose defense over offense. Why? That's next. Burns and Gambo. Burns and Gambo. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Very interesting tweet that I just saw. Okay. Sent out an hour ago. All right. I I apologize for not getting to this. Not the Juju Smith Schuster Valentine's Day message. Nope. From our buddy Howard Balzer. Okay. Okay. Covers the NFL, covers the Arizona Cardinals, has covered the NFL for many, many years. Uh, he's one of, he's a Hall of Fame selector in the NFL. He works for PHNX. He tweeted out an hour ago hearing Nick Rollis and Mike Zimmer could have spots on Jonathan Gannon's Mike Zimmer? Yes. I always liked Mike Zimmer. Rallis will be 30 in July. He's been five years as an assistant with the Vikings. The last two as linebackers coach. He might be D.C. or assistant head coach with Zimmer possibly D.C. 
or senior defensive assistant? Oh, man, Mike Zimmer's a great defense of mine. Okay, I'm in. I just sat up in my seat a little bit when I read. Okay. Oh, Mike Zimmer. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Now, as a head coach, he left a little to be desired. He left. To, I mean, he had success there, but I think he wore on guys after a while, and it just kind of ran he out of steam. He did when they bit, stopped right? when they stopped winning, but he was a very good defensive coordinator with the Cowboys, the Bengals, the Vikings before he became their head coach. He was a he was a really good defensive guy. So Mike Zimmer comes to your staff. I like that. Who was the other guy? Uh, the other guy, I was not familiar with him. His name is Nick Rallis. He's young. Uh, he's going to be 30 in July. He's been the last five years as an assistant with the Vikings. The last two as linebackers coach. He just mentions that okay. those two guys might be coming along with him. Not familiar with him. But no. I am with the other guy. No, nor am I. And for what it's worth, the, re- the connection, um, Jonathan Gannon spent one, two, three, four years with the Minnesota Vikings. Assistant defensive backs coach, quality control coach for four years. But this is what you want. You want him to hire guys he's familiar with. Oh, you, don't yeah. want, you don't want him to get stuck with the same staff that's here. Like, let everybody go. Let everyone, unless there's one guy you really like that you know, but let everybody go and hire your own staff. And the thing about Gannon that's different than, you know, like, you know, some of the other guys is that he's. He's been around the block a little bit. He's been with a bunch of different organizations. He's made connections. He could put a staff together. You know, we talked about, you know, like if you hired Kafka, would you then hire Vance? Because Kafka hasn't been around a whole lot. Mm-hmm. You know, he's only been like with two organizations. You do like the guy that a guy's been with several organizations because you make a lot of connections there. You start, you know, guys. So, you know, hopefully he'll build a good staff. That would be a great name to hire in Mike Zimmer. Yeah, I think I might have misspoke too. It looks like Nick Rallis went with Gannon to the Eagles from Minnesota because he's been their linebackers coach for the last two years. So I might have read the tweet. Uh, but to your point, yeah, he. He's, he has been around, man. I'm talking about Gannon. Falcons, Rams, Titans, Vikings, Colts, Eagles. I mean, he's now for a couple of those, he was a scout, you know, quality control coach, things Still like that. You get to know people, you but, meet people, you absolutely. work. Sure. Everybody starts, starts out and has to work their way up the ladder. No doubt about it. Absolutely. So just a couple of names to kind of keep in mind, maybe in the back of your head. And then, of course, offensive coordinator, the name that keeps getting thrown around is Drew Petzing, who is the quarterback's coach currently for the Cleveland Browns and a guy that has been rumored to be somebody who would be Jonathan Gannon's number one choice to be his offensive coordinator. Got to learn a little bit more about him if he ends up getting the job. There's a lot of people, even in the Cleveland papers, I mean, they're saying the hunt for a new quarterback coach gets real and, you know, feeling that that he is going to get hired by Gannon. We don't know for sure, but that connection between him and Drew Petzing is, uh, I mean, it's legitimate. They, they, they know each other and there's a lot of people that are speculating that he could be the next offensive coordinator for the Cardinals. Now, something we talked about earlier, and I think we need to circle back and, and talk about yeah. it for a few more minutes, and that's the fact that the Cardinals went with a defensive guy okay. and, and not an offensive guy. No problem with that. Uh, no, I don't either, but you tell everybody why you don't have a problem with it, and then I'll tell everybody why I don't. Well, I don't think it matters, you know, offense or defense. It matters that you have do you have the right guy. Do you have guys going to hold everybody accountable. Do you have a guy that's going to set, you know, set the tone, the culture.
culture for the organization. I mean, all of that, all of that matters. There's plenty of defensive head coaches that have had success with offensive guys. And there's plenty of offensive coaches that have had success with defensive guys. Bill Belichick was a defensive guy. Tom Brady won a lot of Super Bowls for him. Okay, had that work out. Belichick was a defensive coordinator for Bill Parcells, won two Super Bowls as the defensive coordinator for the Giants. He was a great defensive mastermind. And Tom Brady worked really well for him. So I don't buy the whole, you have to have an offensive guy for an offensive quarterback. I don't buy that. You know, to me, if he's the right guy for the job, he's the right guy for the job. Now, I don't know that he is, but I just think, can you, can you set a culture? Can you hold guys accountable? I don't really mind the whole offense defensive thing. I don't have, and this defense, as I've said several times, like, I want to have a great defense. Mm-hmm. I want the Cardinals to get the most out of Zayvon Collins, Isaiah Simmons, Buda Baker, Byron Murphy, Zach Allen, the guys that are here. So I'm all for them hiring a guy that can, you know, that has a lot of expertise on that side of the ball. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, certainly in a perfect world, you bring in a coach who's going to maximize Kyler Murray. I mean, I, I think we all know how important that is. We understand the value in that. But they didn't do that. But there other guys could have done. No, that. and I was kind of using that as a comment to kind of set up. You know what I was going to say is that is that at the end of the day, I don't think I don't think that matters at the head coaching position. I think the head coach. I'm looking at a guy like Sean McDermott in Buffalo. Sean McDermott's a defensive minded head coach. That has not stopped Buffalo from having one of the most prolific offenses in the National Football League the last few years. It doesn't matter that he's a defensive coach. He's a coach that the guys respect. He's a leader that the guys will follow. He holds them accountable. He sets the tone. He builds the community within the room. He does everything. That's what you need. Whereas I think with Cliff, Cliff got so tied up in Kyler and only Kyler. And I know that wasn't the only thing he did, but I think his identity was way too wrapped up in the quarterback and making the quarterback work when there has to be so much more that a head coach is responsible for. There has to be so much more that that guy's in charge of. And so for me, I was, I didn't care at all. Offense, defense didn't matter. I, 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 it, 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 because it doesn't. At the end of the day, you need somebody who can come in, set a tone, set a tone of accountability, and make guys understand these are the expectations I expect you to meet if you're going to be a player on my football team. That's the most important part. Yeah, and the offense, the, you're right. I mean, there's plenty, you know, you look at Kenny Dillingham with ASU. He's not going to call the plays. He's going to have somebody else as an offense who's not going to call the plays. You're brought in here because you're a great offensive mind. I expect Gannon's going to have his stamp on the defense because that's his expertise, okay? That's what he does. Does. And, you know, this team lacked a pass rush. He had a team that was two and a half sacks away from breaking the record for the most sacks ever. Establish a pass rush. That's one of the most important things. I mean, figure out a way to get a pass rush with this team because they lacked it last year. They didn't get anything out of there, guys. You've talked about developing the players, things like that. You know, you want to see that. Now, you don't want to disconnect between the front office and the coaching staff. You want the co- you want the front office to draft the players that the coaching staff believes in and will play. Yeah. We haven't had that the last few years. Now, that all that being said, you know, we don't care that he's defensive, offensive, doesn't matter. Boy, there is a part of me that really can't wait to see what he does with Isaiah Simmons. Like, really, okay, you're a defensive mind. You've got this, you know, got this Swiss Army knife out there who can do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. What does Jonathan Gannon do with Isaiah Simmons? Make him great at what one thing. He, what does he have? But what is that one thing? Make right? him great at one and, thing. And, and that's what I, I can't, I hope for the same thing. Mm-hmm. 
I wonder what that one thing is. Is he a safety? Is he a slot corner? Is he a pass rusher? Is he a true inside linebacker? Because this idea of having him be decent at a bunch of stuff, I agree. He's got to be great at the one thing. What is the one thing? What When Jonathan Gannon sits down and watches the tape and he looks at number nine, I wonder what he says. Okay, I want him to be that, and I want him to be great. What is that thing he wants him to do? Can't wait to find out. Can't wait. I don't think it's covering tight ends. <laughs> I don't know. I Last year, I think, if I remember right, he spent the far vast majority of his time playing safety or slot corner. And and I... Is that what he's going to be great at in this league? I still think he could be a hell of a pass rusher. But I don't know if he's only a pass rusher. He can do more than that. I, I still think he could be a really good pass rusher in this league, but I could be wrong. Let's see know. who they draft and let's see where they need him. But I think the bottom line is you've got to make, like with Hassan Reddick, they had him out of position for so many years and they, they wasted this great talent and now he's one of the best pass rushers in the league. Yeah. Innings Festival is back. The two-day music festival featuring Green Day and Eddie Vedder and Weezer and The Offspring and so much more returns to Tempe Beach Park on February 25th and 26th. Head to the contest page at ArizonaSports.com for complete details and for your chance to win tickets. It almost went unnoticed. We were very pleasantly surprised to find out Kyler Murray is here in Arizona, just like the owner of the Cardinals wanted him to be. That's next on the Burns and Gambo Show. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Burns and Gambo, what's on tonight? All right, 7 o'clock tonight. If you can convince your significant other to spend Valentine's Day watching Suns basketball, hell, for all I know, maybe you're going to the game. Suns taking on the Kings tonight at 7 o'clock. You'll hear it here on Arizona Sports, the Arizona Sports app. Uh, and that game starts at 7, uh, which is why we've got bonus Burns and Gambo today. We're with you until 6.30 to walk to you right up until pregame coverage of that. As far as the local teams go, that's it. They're the only team in action tonight. Tomorrow, the Coyotes are back at it. Thursday, got a bunch of teams in action, including the Suns again. And then, of course, don't forget, Thursday's the big day here in the Valley. Huge. The Jonathan Gannon introductory press conference in the morning. The Kevin Durant introductory press conference in the afternoon. Let's have the two press conferences on the same day. Sure. Said no one ever. <laughs> You know what? It'll be fine. We'll handle it with great skill and uh, deft understanding. I guess. Oh, it'll be a big day. It'll it'll be a big day. I'm looking forward to yeah, it. Yeah, we all want to hear from Kevin Durant. And, you know, the, I, I do want to hear from Kevin. The flirtation with the Suns over the summer. How close did he come? At what point did Kevin Durant decide that, okay, I'm going to ask for a trade again? Was it once Kyrie decided that the Nets decided to trade Kyrie? I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things we want to hear from Kevin Durant about. Yeah, and a lot of things I want to hear from Jonathan Cannon about, too. What his plan is and how he's going to put this together. Thursday's going to be a big day. And, of course, tomorrow we're back with you straight up 2 o'clock. We'll be talking about this Suns-Kings game. Uh, before we get to the Kyler stuff, just real quick, Dwayne Rankin tweeted this out. He's the beat writer who covers the Suns for AZ Central. Monty Williams just mentioned Terrence Ross by name when talking about figuring out who he's going to play, and then he paused and said, can I say that? <laughs> he then joked that Terrence is a guy that helps him. He got a laugh from the media. Ross reportedly will join the Suns after the Magic Pie Ross out, but it hasn't been made official yet. So here's Monty pregame, and he's just running through all these new parts and how he's going to figure out to use them. And he mentioned Terrence's Ross. Terrence Ross is without him officially without being, being on the being. Suns. Like, uh, can yeah. I say that? Am I allowed to say that? Right. So today, Gannon, the new coach of the Cardinals, 
released through the Cardinals two videos. One basically saying, hey, Bird Gang, I'm here. Let's go. Let's ride. This is going to be awesome. It's going to be great. And then the Cardinals sent out another video. He's walking through the facility. He's walking with Michael Bidwell. And I think Michael says to him at some point, hey, do you want to go meet Kyler? He's in the weight room. And Ken is like, Kyler's here right now? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. So he's Hold seen- on. The camera, the cameras, you guys all set? Because it looked a little staged. A little bit, yeah. Okay, it looked a little staged. Ken is running down the hall and the camera's running right behind him. It looked very <laughs> set up. Yeah, it, it, there was there was certainly some elements about it where you go, yeah. okay, okay, you do this and you do that. But he walks into the weight room, gives Kyler Murray a big high five and the, the bro hug, and, and that was cool. And we were talking about this earlier. I was telling you about this video, and you're like, okay, you're burying the lead here. Kyler's in the building. Kyler's here, which is, think back 36 days ago to when this whole thing started. What was one of the things Michael talked about? Wanting Kyler Murray around more, wanting yes. him to do his rehab yeah. here. Kyler's here. How long it's going to last, I don't know, but he's here. It's and and it may be because he was invited to a Super Bowl, you know, a Super Bowl party with Drake or something like that. So he was in town. But you take it. But I'm glad he didn't go to the Super Bowl and just head back to Dallas. If he was here Monday and Tuesday, and if I'm Kyler, I want to be there for the coach's introductory press conference. You should be here. Okay, he's going to be there. He's going to be with his family. This is your new head coach. Stay a few extra days, Kyler. Stay a few extra days. Make sure you're here when he's introduced at the press conference. You'll be supportive of your new coach. Try to get off uh, uh, on the right start with him. But it is something that we that you notice. Kyler's here. He's in the building. Now, whether it was the Super Bowl thing or not, either way, he's in the weight room. He's working out. That's great. That's great news. You want him around as much as possible. The trainers, the team, the staff, everybody. Because this is your biggest investment. Say anything you want about the new head coach and free agency and the draft and everything. Your biggest investment is in that kid and you want to make sure it works out. Yeah, he, uh, Josh Weinfuss has also pointed out on Twitter that Kyler has posted like three different stories to his Instagram page over the last couple of hours of him working out in the facility, showing off that he's so, so Kyler's sending out the message as well. Hey, it's not just a video the Cardinals sent out. I'm here. I'm working out. Here's pictures of me on my IG. And I, I wholeheartedly agree with you about Kyler needing to stay around until Thursday. That's important. He should be. It's important. Yeah. It's important for him to be there. It's important for Buddha to be there. But it's it's more important than anybody else for Kyler to be there. You are you are the face, man. You're the organization. You're the quarter of a billion dollar guy. You're the one who this time a year ago meet asked, his family, meet right. his meet his swiping kids, meet his family, be supportive, be that guy. Don't take off and go back. I mean, it's a few days, just a few days. Yep. Basically, this time a year ago, you demanded the organization make you their franchise player. Well, guess what? This is what franchise players do. That's what they do. That's this exactly is, this, right. This is what they do. This is part of this. is part this of the part process. of the gig. All right. Mm-hmm. When you put your name on that dotted line, you were in part agreeing to be the face of this franchise. And there are expectations. One thousand percent. And even though that might not be the most comfortable thing for you to do, that's part of the gig. And it would be important for you just from a sheer perception standpoint to be there. I mean, is reality does it do you any good? Probably not. It's all about perception. But it it matters. It's going to matter that that Gannon, when he meets with the media, is going to be able to say, you know, I see Kyler in the back of the room. He and I had a great conversation. I look forward to working with him. He's the key. All that stuff. It means more when Kyler's there. Way more if he's there. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt about it. Um, look, I'm getting, I'm glad 
that, that Kyler's here. Now, we don't expect that Kyler's going to be ready for the start of the season, but you know, see him work it out, see him rehabbing, you know, get right. I'm also I'm hoping that Kyler got motivated seeing Mahomes. Texas Tech guy, seeing Jalen Hurts and what he did with the Eagles. I mean, I'm I'm hoping that something clicks for Kyler, and I don't know what it's going to be that's going to motivate him to elevate his game to a level that we just haven't seen. Could it be a new coach and not having to deal with Cliff anymore? Could it be a new offensive coordinator? Somebody's got to push him and push him to the to the point where they get the most out of him. Because there's extreme, there's a lot of talent there. We all know it. The question with Kyler isn't talent. He could run fast. He could throw the ball far and he's accurate. It's not that. It's just, does he want to be great? Does he want to be great? Yeah. And, you know, that's got to come from inside of Kyler. But maybe there's somebody that can get something out of him. Maybe something, maybe something will push him. Maybe watching those guys play in the Super Bowl, you know, creates a burning desire for Kyler. I want that. I want that burning desire for Kyler. Maybe it's whoever Gannon hires that's going to push him to a level. Because clearly he had gotten stagnant with Cliff. Stagnant. He had been comfortable. He had gotten to a point where... He was good, and his talent alone was enough to get him that money and to help them win some football games. But to to really truly be great, he's got a. You know, these guys want it. Hurts wants it. Mahomes wants it. You know that's now every everybody can want it, but that doesn't mean you're gonna get out of the talent too. He's got the talent. We just got to question whether he has the desire. Yeah, and and that's where I mean. It's it's internal for Kyler. He's got to make up his mind. He's got to decide that's what he wants to do and he wants to be. So I'm not going to sit here and suggest that any one person is more important to that than Kyler Murray. It, it, it truly is up to Kyler. But I, I do think that's where a new coaching staff will help a little bit because I think there was just such, not to blame everything on Cliff on his way out the door, all right, that would be irresponsible. But I do think there was a pretty lax set of rules and expectations and accountability around the building. And I think when that happens, guys fall into bad habits. Guys who aren't the most self-disciplined start doing things that they, and I'm, I'm hoping with a different coaching staff, there will just be a level of buy-in that's going to be required out of Kyler Murray. That was like the, the first time, you know, somebody's late for a practice or somebody walks into a meeting late. I, I hope there's a different level of accountability for a moment. You got to like establish that. that Right off the get go, I mean, you've got to you got to put down your foot right away. Like you know, you're not gonna you you you're not gonna tolerate Kyler calm the blank down and some of the antics and stuff like that. Like it's gonna again, but that's culture, that's perception. We've heard players talk about. We've heard Buddha and other players, you know, talk about. You know, they, they, they at one point they said guys quit on the team and one guys weren't playing hard and that, so that's got to change. And I think maybe Cliff was at the end of uh, uh, end of his his rope at the end and it was just very difficult and he probably knew that he wasn't going to keep the job and guys were tuning him out and because it'd been five years, you know. It'd been you know four years, right? Four years, and mm-hmm. just you know, guys were starting to tune him out, and he wasn't getting the most out of anybody anymore. Yeah, I mean, look, we've said it a million times. It was a rough year for the entire organization last year. That they they were adrift the whole season. They were from the minute they lost to the Rams 
to Kyler's contract to Dehop's suspension to two Steve, coaches to Cliff to two coaches. They were they were adrift and and it's, two coaches it's, having to get fired. Uh huh. And, and while I'm not making excuses for anybody, it certainly is understandable. While why certain guys might have gone adrift with them, right? Like the guys, like hey man, there's just no rules around here. Everybody's we're, we're just it's all kind of a mess. And and so hopefully a new staff will come in here. And, and honestly, I hope too that Michael's words. Stick with Kyler. When Michael said, I hope he's here, we, I, I'd like him to be my preference, our preference to have him here. I hope Kyler takes that to heart. You know, I, I hope Kyler makes more of an effort to be here as much as he possibly can and not go back to Dallas. Cause again, that's kind of part of the deal. When an organization gives you a quarter of a billion dollars, they, they're kind of expecting that out of you. And I, I hope he takes that to heart. I really, really do. Yeah. I, I don't know that we, Put a lot of emphasis on what Kyler does this year if he's going to miss six, seven, eight games. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to be coming back from a big injury, come back and try to play well for a team that may end up with a top five pick again next year. But he's not going anywhere this year. He's not going anywhere next year. And hopefully he'll, hopefully when he does come back, we see a different Kyler Murray. Yeah, I hope so too. When we come back on the Burns and Gambo show, yeah, we're coming back on the Burns and Gambo show. And joining us next, Suns broadcaster, always kind of him to join us when we've got bonus Burns and Gambo, John Bloom, next on the Burns and Gambo Show. Burns and Gambo, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. All right, back here on this bonus edition of the Burns and Gambo Show. Suns, Kings, pregame action coming up in about 13 minutes. Keep it right here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader, the Arizona Sports app. And we will bring you the game. You will hear it as the Suns take on the Kings in a showdown that we're looking forward to, as we usually do during bonus Burns and Gambo. We're kind enough to call upon our good friend, Suns broadcaster, John Bloom, to spend a few minutes with us here going into his broadcast. I can hear the crowd behind him there at Footprint Center. So let's let me welcome in John Bloom and say happy birthday, Bloomer, a day late. Happy birthday to you. Hey, thank you, Burns. Yeah, I appreciate you. Uh, it was quite a day. Uh, I got a round of golf in, had a nice uh, meal with the family. Nice, nice. And uh, all, of, all of the time uh, thinking about uh, anticipating basketball returning to Footprint Center because it feels like it's been a long time. Yeah, the road trip uh, took a while, and then there was the long layoff after the road trip with the Super Bowl and everything like that. From your perspective, uh, I know how close you are to the team. You travel with them. You're there every day. How did the organization and, and you or people in the organization balance the somber notes of watching Mikel and Cam go and Dario too and Jay versus the excitement of a Kevin Durant coming in? How do you kind of toe the line between those two things? Yeah, you know what I think of uh, because of where I grew up, you know, in the city by the bay. I think of a fog. Uh, and uh, I think of when it happened, uh, I immediately was just in the soupiest part of that fog and really couldn't see forward other than just what had happened and was dwelling on it like I think a lot of people were about uh, saying goodbye to guys that we've watched grow up in front of our eyes as members of the Phoenix Suns, as homegrown talent and as guys that have brought us uh, or brought us so many great memories. Uh, so that is what dominated the initial, I would say, 24 to 48 hours 
Bruce uh, around the trade deadline. For me personally, for my family, trying to talk my kids uh, into the fact that everything's going to be okay yeah. uh, with their favorite team. <laughs> you know, that was all part of it. And I'm sure that's something that I share with a lot of Suns fans. So, uh, you know, we went through that. But I will say this. After that, over the course of the last 24, 48 hours for me, the excitement has started to build. Uh, and that excitement starts with Kevin Durant. Uh, in fact, today I took the time, uh, based on a suggestion from a buddy of mine who was in town for the Super Bowl, uh, to watch KD's episode with David Letterman. He's got a Netflix series that I really haven't watched, but I know a lot of people are huge Letterman people out there, so you're probably devouring that series. I haven't watched it, uh, although I do remember watching Letterman a lot growing up throughout my youth, and I have a, a healthy respect for him and his craft. Uh, I enjoyed the heck out of the episode with Kevin Durant because I learned a ton about KD. And so I'm starting to get excited about, you know, welcoming this guy to the Valley, to Planet Orange, seeing him rock the gear was exciting over the weekend. But I don't think it'll feel truly, uh, you know, like we're turning the page until he's in the lineup. Right, Bernsey? I, I Look, I always love a good recommendation. And I, I was a huge David Letterman fan. I grew up on David Letterman. I watched him on NBC and then CBS, and I, I hardly ever missed his show. I do not have a lot of interest in his Netflix show. It, it just didn't really take for me. But that recommendation, I will take to the bank. And I won't watch it tomorrow. I won't watch it tonight because I want to watch the Suns game. But tomorrow <laughs> night, I can see myself watching Kevin Durant with David Letterman and get a little more insight in it. Because he, he is, he's not an enigma, but he is really an interesting guy, right? There, there's yes. just so much about him you want to learn. And now that he's here and now that he's ours and now that he's got this enormous expectation upon him, I want to get to know as much about him as I possibly can for sure. And I think you're going to enjoy the heck out of it, Burns. You wouldn't expect it, but they definitely have a vibe. Like, they uh, have a, a relationship you could see, like just a natural um, kind of hang between the two of them. And it was fun to feel like uh, I was part of it just watching the show. So I think a lot of people will enjoy that because we're all going to want to get to know this guy. And, and I think it's brought a lot of attention, more attention to the Phoenix Suns, um, you know, right now, which is going to be interesting to see how they handle it. Because, again, like you mentioned tonight, right out of the gates, uh, we know that Kevin Durant's coming. He's just not here yet. So you're going to roll out with the same group that you uh, have right now with Devin Booker and Chris Paul and, and DeAndre Ayton being kind of the stalwarts until he gets right and is ready to play, which hopefully won't be that long away. Yeah, it's it's there's two games left before the All-Star break. Tonight against the Kings. Thursday against the Clippers. Durant's going to be introduced at a press conference Thursday before that Clippers game. Then you go on the All-Star break. You've got eight days before your next game after you play the Clippers. So we are, you know, at the minimum, at least a week and a half from seeing Kevin Durant, you know, on the floor playing for the Suns, assuming he's back for that first game back after the All-Star break. So we still have a little bit of a ways. Let, let's focus instead on two of the new guys that we're going to see tonight. One of them's not that new. We're all, we all know Tony Buckets. We remember T.J. Warren really well. How, what sort of role do you expect him to play tonight with his second stint with the Suns? Well, the role that uh, I just absolutely enjoy uh, that he plays is the role of the most unorthodox scorer in the history of the NBA. <laughs> he just shoots in angles and ways that you can't defend, and I absolutely love uh, the fact that he's back with the Phoenix Suns. I think he adds something to the team offensively for sure. Uh, you know, it, it remains to be seen where his defense is right now. He's going to definitely have to bring it on that side of the ball or he's not going to earn the trust of his coach who has not had him on his squad before. A lot of people might think 
like there was crossover, but it was really like a day or two. Yeah. Uh, Monty got the job, and then T.J. Warren was traded. So uh, they, they didn't uh, play together, if you will. But I am excited to see how T.J. is folded in. And certainly with no Kevin Durant, maybe now is the time that T.J. Warren will be called on more so. Uh, we've seen some great things from Josh Okoge lately. I think that uh, his emergence is what enables the Suns to potentially weather the storm uh, defensively without having Mikael Bridges right now. I mean, he really has brought it on that side. He's a different player. I don't want to say he's the same kind of stopper that Mikel is, but boy, has he been fantastic in that role. We'll see if he's back in the starting lineup tonight as, uh, you know, Monty Williams still kind of playing with that a little bit, and I bet he'll continue to do so uh, over the course of the next few weeks. I'll tell you, people looked at me like I was cross-eyed bloomer. I- I'm telling you right now, I think Josh Okoge should be the fifth starter. I, I-, I- the-, the defense, you don't need scoring with that starting unit. You've got it in, in bucket loads out there, right? You need an on-ball point-of-attack defender. I like the idea of Josh still being the starter, even when Durant is here. Thoughts on who should be the fifth starter? Oh, man, it's going to be tough because I agree with you in, in some respects, but I also love a Kogi coming off the bench and just being a bulldog, shutting people down. If you find out who's hot through the first five minutes, now here comes Josh and you cool him off. I think that can be a, a nice weapon, too. Uh, but I see what you're saying. If he can be steady beyond the arc, because, again, that's what they're going to call on whoever's in that spot with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton. I mean, those guys are all going to have their spots on the floor that they're going to prefer, right? So the other guy's just going to kind of stay out of the way. And when he's open, they're going to want him to hit that shot. Now, Torrey Craig can knock down the corner threes. His actually, his three-point percentage has been up near 40% all season. You might recall Kogi started out ice cold. I think he was one for 18 to start. But since then, he's been a lot better. So, you know, if he can be steady, then, yeah, I would have faith to, to have him in that lineup as well. And I think, like I said, I think it's going to be a process for Monty, Kevin Young, uh, and his staff, all of those guys, to get together and figure out what the best five is to start the game and certainly to end the game as well. Yeah, one thing's for sure, though. You're right. T.J. Warren, as much as you might like him and as much as I might like him, there is an expectation of defense around here. And if he doesn't play it to a certain level, there might not be very many contributions that he's going to be able to make because that has always been an expectation under James and Monty. Yes, and so and I think it will continue to be an expectation. And with other guys that bring that to the table, uh, he has to show it. You're right. All right, Bloomer, we look forward to hearing you coming up in just a couple of minutes. You know we're always grateful when you come on during Bonus Burns and Gambo. Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure, Burns. The uh, best to the fam, man. Yeah, thank you. You too. John Bloom joining us. You'll hear him in just a moment or two as we turn it over to Suns basketball. We're going to be back with you tomorrow at straight up 2 o'clock. I believe James Jones... <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We're we're supposed to, but we need to hear back from who I'm supposed to hear back. Schedule's been a little fluid. We'll see if we get him on tomorrow. We'll be back with you tomorrow, straight up two o'clock, right here on the Burns and Gambo Show. You're still here. It's over. Go home. Go. Go.